Hey, Crossroads, I'm not with you today because today is Pam and I's 44th year of being married, our 44th wedding anniversary. And so we decided to do something we almost never do, which is take some time off together to celebrate what God has done over 44 years. So I want you to know we care about you, we love you, and we'll be watching online. But I also want to tell you I'm super excited for you to get to hear from Pastor Lauren. I was thinking about this. When I first met with Pastor Lauren and talked to her about coming on staff, she had two heart's desires she told me about. One is back then she was single and she was hoping and praying that God would bring the right man into her life. And I said, I'm gonna join you in praying for that. Her second one was this. She said, I just wanna use my spiritual gifts. And I, and I said, if you come here, I promise you, you'll get to do that. I promise you will support you in that. So it wasn't long after she came here that her and Tom got together and today they're married. So one of her heart's desires got fulfilled. And are you ready for this? The other one we did right away. She is so gifted to preach. She is so gifted to teach. And we wanted to unleash her in using her gift. And right now, Crossroads, you get to experience that. Right now, you get to be blessed by the gift that God gave Lauren as she's coming to preach the word of God to you. So I want you to do this. Would you join me in welcoming Pastor Lauren. Thank you so much. And congrats to Pastor Chuck and Pam for 44 years. That is amazing, right? And I'll just tell him I'm almost that old. So um, he's got me beat on that. Um, what he alluded to was about roughly five years ago, I hit a fork in the road in my life. What started as a simple conversation snowballed into a major life decision. I chose to leave a church that I absolutely love and a position that I knew for the unknown with hopes that this new adventure would lead to good things. If I hadn't have come to Crossroads, I truly believe I wouldn't have gotten married. And here's a pic of Tom and I on our wedding day, 2020. And obviously, as Pastor Chuck said, I wouldn't be standing before you preaching today. It is a dream come true. But you guys, I had to calculate everything in order to make these decision to come to Crossroads. It was a huge decision. There was so much at stake. And looking back on the last five years, I would have missed it. Obviously, I didn't make the decision because I knew good things would happen. I made the decision because it aligned with my purpose. I did a hard thing, a must do for my life. You know who else does hard things? Our Olympians, I'm a huge Olympic fan. Anybody else out there with me? We love the Olympics. Okay, I cannot wait for the next one to come. And when it comes, I am just all in. The whole thing from the opening ceremonies to the closing ceremonies. I mean, my husband actually thinks I'm hilarious because I love curling, right? Curling is just glorified shuffleboard with a broom, but I love it. Uh, my hands actually get sweaty watching it. And you know what else I love? Cross-country skiing. I mean, they go out into the wilderness and hopefully return, right? I love cross-country skiing. My best friend, she helps me record through the night all the different things that nobody else watches, like the triathlon, the marathon, basketball. I love it all and all the favorites as well. And why do I love the Olympics so much? You guys, the focus, the competition, overcoming the stories, they're so emotional of having to persevere through injury and trial and, and all the things. But what must an athlete do to get to the Olympics? Hard things. Here's a day in the life of an Olympic swimmer. 
All right, go with me on this. They wake up at 6.20 in the morning, and then they have a little breakfast. They're on the pool deck at 7.15 a.m. for a pre-pool warm-up and rehabilitation exercises. They're in the pool at 7.45 for an over two-hour morning swim session. This swim session includes all four strokes, and it's intensity, moderate drills, all this stuff. Some sessions are more intense than others, On occasion, they swim between 6,000 and 8,000 meters. To put this in context, this is the equivalent of swimming just short of the height of Mount Everest in one session, and that's just the morning session. Then they have a snack and they hit the gym three times a week for an hour and a half to do their weightlifting. They refuel, have some lunch, take a nap or chill about 12.30 for two hours. Then they go to their pre-training meal and jump testing at 3.15. Jump testing is where they have to practice that explosive power off the blocks. Right after that, they're back to the pre-pool, that land warm-up exercise that they've already done in the morning, but they're gonna do it again because they're gonna jump into the pool again at 4 p.m. for an evening pool session. This is the hypoxic training session where they're trying to get their oxygen level up and oftentimes, They actually pass out during this training session. After that, they do post-pool stretching, wind down, have dinner, chill. They're in bed at 9 to 10 p.m. And how many calories have they consumed? Well, Michael Phelps consumed 10,000 calories in an average day. I read an article. He would just eat whatever he could in order to maintain that crazy, crazy strategy. And guess what? This is intense. They do this week in and week out just for the opportunity to get to the podium. This doesn't even guarantee they're going to get there, right? You see, living your purpose doesn't mean it's easier. We all wish it did mean that, right? I mean, I think it's something I hope. If I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, it's going to be smooth and painless. Quite the opposite, because more is at stake. I wanna share with you today, great missions are lived out with the knowledge that it will require pain along the way. Let me ask you this. What are you missing out on because you haven't entered the discomfort or the pain of what it will cost? What are you missing out on? We're in a series on living out our purpose and following the things we must do and staying away from the things we mustn't do. Jesus, he knew his purpose. It determined everything about his life, every minute he spent, every direction he walked, every relationship he encountered and poured into. He calculated everything to live his purpose. Let's look at Luke chapter 9. We've been in for the past couple weeks. Pastor Chuck gave an incredible overview of who, the Luke, who Luke, the writer, is a couple weeks ago. And then we learned about Jesus' must. Jesus must suffer. Here it is, Luke 9, 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. And to truly follow him, we must suffer. Pastor Chuck preached this last week. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So Jesus must suffer, we must suffer, Jesus was raised, we also will be raised. We come to today's passage, Luke 9, verse 43. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what he was saying. 
and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. You guys, the disciples didn't get it. Clearly, they didn't understand. And we know this because right on the heels of Jesus saying this, they were arguing about who was greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus had to set them straight again, set a little child in front of them and say, whoever receives this child in my name also receives me. Whoever does not receive this child in my name does not receive me. Shameless plug to serve in kids' ministry and receive a child in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Right after that, Jesus set his mission towards Jerusalem because he knew that's where he needed to go to die. And then he tells his disciples again how much it will cost to follow him. He says, you can't look back. You can't be distracted by people, not even your family. He said, you can't just follow blindly without counting the cost. Again, great missions are lived out with the knowledge that it will require pain along the way. Jesus knew the pain he would face to accomplish his mission. And he knew what he was asking of his followers when he said to follow me. He was telling them they would have to do hard things. Samuel Chand says that your level of leadership is directly proportional to your ability to take pain. He says pain is a part of progress. Anything that grows experiences some pain. If I avoid all pain, I'm avoiding growth. We say we want to grow and get better, right? We all want to. Yet we aren't good at accepting the pain that comes with that growth, right? We run at the first sign of discomfort. We have experienced chaos in the last two years, and it is in our natural selves to want to escape from that pain and run away from it. We naturally avoid it. The crowds in Jesus' day also resisted. Throughout the chapter of Luke 9, there was this repeated confusion among the crowds, right? And even the disciples, the crowds, they wanted to have this healing Jesus. They liked the idea of that, right? They, they wanted his positive words. They, they wanted all those nice things to be said. They wanted those good, fuzzy feelings for sure. They were fans of Jesus, fans of healing Jesus, fans of winner Jesus, fans of helping Jesus. But being a fan doesn't mean being a follower. Our culture dictates fandom, that's what we're all about, but we do not talk much about followership because being a fan conflicts with the actual true cost of what Jesus asks us to do when we follow him undistracted. Let's go back to verse 43. They were all amazed at the greatness of God. Again, wow, he's so amazing. But while everyone was marveling at all he was doing, he says to his disciples right here, let these words sink into your ears. And now when Jesus says, let these words sink into your ears, he actually is telling them what he wants them to do rather than continuing on with what he's talking about, right? How often do we think, oh, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. Let me, let me just jump in, right? And we interrupt our friends and our family with what we think that they're going to talk about. And we're completely wrong, like 95% of the time. So why are we so wrong? Because Jesus has something. He has something for you to hear today, and he's asking you, let these words sink into your ears. Another translation actually says, listen to me and remember what I say. I love that translation. Then here's the thing. Here's the thing that Jesus tells them at the perfect time that is life-altering. Jesus' words are, the Son of Man 
is about to be delivered into the hands of men. The son of man, that's me, Jesus, is about to be delivered. I'm going to go into somebody else's hands and they're going to have everything that they want to do with my life and I'm gonna have to do something really, really hard. So what Jesus is saying, but they didn't understand is the way of the cross. is through weakness and not strength. As followers, he's asking us to do the same thing. That's how we actually know we're following, right? That's how we know that when Jesus asks us to be humble like a child and be the least in the kingdom of heaven and to focus on the least of these, that's how we know we are a true disciple. So how do we truly follow when it's hard, when we're distracted, right? The disciples were confused. They were distracted. Um, They didn't even know Jesus was truly going to suffer as he did, even though he told them over and over again. Here's where it gets really good. The hardest part is doing the hard thing, okay? We know we have to do it, but we have to do the hard thing. And why is this hard? Because we get distracted. This is the first mustn't of Jesus. Don't get distracted. Check out what Matthew writes. Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and to be killed, and to be raised up on the third day. And yet, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's purposes, but on men's. Satan will use anything to try to distract us from our purpose. We don't always recognize it, but it's there. Of course, Jesus saw it right away, right? He is the incarnate God in the flesh, so he knew what Peter was saying. But you know what? Peter is one of his closest friends, Peter came to him and he says, God forbid it. Do you realize that the distraction from your purpose can come from one of your closest friends? From one of your family members? From somebody whom you trust? Right? Peter was in the inner circle and he was a complete trying to be distracting to Jesus. And these people that can come into our lives, they can actually become strongholds distracting us. And Satan, he will speak through others. He will speak lies through all kinds of ways. He's a very smart person. Jesus had the confidence, and of course he was perfect, so he recognized this was from the enemy himself, and he concludes with, Peter, you're not setting your mind on God's purposes, but on man's. The distraction can also come from our culture. In Luke 9, the crowds represent culture, right? The crowds crowded in when Jesus and the disciples were trying to take a break and pray, right? Distraction. The crowds asked for individual attention, like, Jesus, come help me, right, when, when they were on mission for something else. The crowds also distracted others by not giving Jesus the title he deserved. They limited him to a prophet, a good person, limiting the very authority in their lives. The crowds were the culture who distracted Jesus' disciples, and I believe the crowds do the same thing for us today. We're distracted from God's purposes because we listen to the crowds in our culture. Those voices, these voices, can be a stumbling block from Satan. We rely on crowds for our opinion about politics, and then we get involved in discussions that don't bring unity. We unwantingly rely on the news to tell us what we should be afraid of. We look at social media 
to determine our thinking on certain issues. We call it research, and then it becomes truth in our lives. We get stuck because we don't recognize the voice of the enemy versus the voice of Jesus. Back to verse 44. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Get this, in order to be all in on following Jesus, on our mission and our purpose, he calls us to dissent. He says, for the one who is least among you, this is the one who will be great. We see this again and again throughout scripture. Jesus turns everything upside down. He calls for humility rather than power. He calls for serving rather than being served. That's why the crowd was so confused. They thought God would be in charge, king, in authority, not humble, not servant-hearted. Again, we think if it is painful, it cannot be right. Paul, the apostle who came to know Jesus and had this amazing transformation following his resurrection, he writes to a group of believers called the Philippians. He says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. And why? Because you must have the same attitude Christ Jesus had. Here it is. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, amen, that's right. Jesus descended first to live as a human being on this earth. Then he descended further into death. This was to serve men. This is backwards thinking from what the disciples were asking about who will be the greatest. Then what happened? That's right, he ascended. Here it is, the recap of Luke chapter nine I shared at the beginning. Jesus must suffer, we must suffer. Jesus will be raised, we will be raised. But this would not have happened if Jesus did not complete his must. I must suffer at the hands of men. To truly follow Jesus, to have, follow him into descent, we have to die to ourselves. Paul writes to the Roman believers, for I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says, we will suffer now, we will descend, but glory will be revealed, we will ascend. But what are the sufferings of this present time? Right now, I can name off a few. If we go to Kenya, there is suffering because there is a lack, lack of clean water, education, lack of opportunity, lack of food, lack of anything to make you comfortable. And you guys, we are in a, in a season of a church of sponsoring kids. Let's look at a day in the life of a child in Kenya. My name is Rodanyendo. I am 11 years old. I live with my mommy and daddy in a place called Kamaiko in the big city of Nairobi. It is not easy for my parents to provide food or pay rent because they do not have jobs. Living in the slums is not easy. Most kids are not sure whether they can stay in school and create a better life. My 
name is Mambelin Larote. I am 10 years old. I now live with my aunt Rose because my parents both died. I live with five sisters and one brother near a village called Ultra. My parents had wanted me to take care of their gods, so I didn't go to school. Now my aunt tries her best to make sure I remain in school. Sometimes we sleep hungry because we do not have food to eat. Most boys like me spend every day tending to the family goes out in the wilderness. I have a sponsor and that changed everything. When I wake up, I say my prayers, then I get ready and brush my teeth. I put on my more uniform so I can leave for school. I like walking to school with my friends. The best time of my day is when I get to go to school at Mission of Hope. I wake up very early to walk many miles to school with my sister so we can eat for it. I am in grade 3 and Mrs. Jalo is my teacher. I love my Bible classes and learning more about God. I also like when I get to dance with my friends. While in school, my favorite food is rice and beans. I also like talking with teacher Amaya because she makes me laugh. I am in grade 4. Mr. Muti is my teacher. He does a good job teaching us. I now know how to read and write in English. One time I was not feeling well until they gave me medicine and I got better. When I get home after school, I help my mommy clean the dishes and she helped me with my homework. I play football with my friends and then hurry back home so that I can do my homework. I am so thankful to be in a mission so hope school. I want to be a dancer when I grow up. I know I can do it. My name is Rodangendo and I have hope for my future. I love being in school and I do not miss even a single day. I thank Mission of Hope. I want to be a teacher when I grow up so that I can also help my community. I am Mambelin Darote and I have hope for my future. What a beautiful picture from suffering to hope. I have the privilege of sponsoring a child named Nalilwa from Alterat. Again, if you guys want to sign up to sponsor a child, we're trying to get to 500. We're over 300 right now by Easter, so you can sign up today. You guys, there are true sufferings in this present time in other countries with these basic needs not being fulfilled. But there are also sufferings of different kinds that we experience. Peter writes about these types of sufferings. He first talks about our hope, and then the suffering peace will come. So walk with me on this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That is the ascent to come. But it's not here yet because right now we have some hard stuff. And here's what Peter says, in this, our future hope, you greatly rejoice even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. He tags that we cannot ascend without experiencing various trials. And the word in the Greek for trials is temptations. We will descend into our own humanity, we will suffer temptations. Our culture and those around us tempt us all the time. We are prone to be influenced by people. Worry more about your safety. Get into political discussions that lead you away from talking about Jesus. Care more about what happens to you than your neighbor. And this one, this is what gets me. Want what the world offers. I was single and had been for a while. I was in my 30s waiting for Mr. Right. And if you're single and in your 30s, people judge you for your singleness. They actually say to your face and behind your back, what's wrong with you that you aren't married yet? And then one day, I was fixing up my condo, my bathrooms, with um, putting in new granite. And I had a contractor with me in a little tiny porch, and we were trying to lift this piece of granite over the edge of the porch. And I'm a strong girl, and I literally could not lift this piece of granite. Out of nowhere, this guy shows up, and like with one finger, he's like, Dink! and the granite just slips right over the wall, and we get it in the house. Then, this guy happens to be my neighbor, lives across the street. He helped me paint a room, he replaced a floor tile, and I was like, yeah, contractor, Dodgers fan, tall, skinny, bad boy image, yes. He had been in prison. He had encountered Jesus, but he knew that following Jesus would require something of him. It would cost him too much. He didn't want to give up his life. Note that Chuck mentions all the time that prisoners are huge on you have to walk your talk or there is no respect for you in prison. Chris knew this, and he chose not, as he knew the extent he would need to change his life to be a true disciple, to deny himself, to die to himself, to follow but you know, phone conversations ensued, talks outside about Jesus. You guys, we would stand outside right there on the curb and talk about Jesus for hours. I was sucked in all in the name of Jesus. Chris was going to change. He was gonna come to know Jesus. He was gonna make that choice. I believed it, I wanted it, and I prayed hard for it. Then it happened. You know what I'm gonna say. I fell for him. Mm-hmm, yep. I did. My heart got involved. I would pray, Jesus, let him come to know you, right? I wanted to win. I wanted to be looked at differently. I wanted marriage. Chris and I never dated. We just emotionally connected. And I think maybe we went to Rite Aid one time for Thrifty's ice cream, which is not a date, let me be clear. <laughs> then guess what? I was obsessing over him and his life, and I was looking at him on Facebook, stalking, you know, and I noticed that uh, a girl had commented on one of his, you know, posts, and so I was like, oh, who's that? Click. I go to her profile, 
not private. I could see everything. And I saw everything. Her and Chris, she and Chris, they were clearly dating. There was pictures of them with her kid, oozy goozy stuff all over there. I was crushed. I was like, Jesus, your plan for his life was to come to know you personally and then we could be together because I was committed to not dating not only people who just you know, weren't Christians. They had to be not only a, a Christian, but a Christ follower. They had to be a true follower of Jesus. So guys, I was emotionally heartbroken. So we stopped texting. I stopped seeing him. But of course, I would drive home and I would see his house and his truck parked right there. A daily reminder. So I was talking about Chris with my dad around this time because I actually talked to my dad about all kinds of things even now. He's sitting right there. And he said to me in his compassionate, truth-telling way, he said, it seems odd that this is such a big deal. Like, why are you so emotional over this relationship? Right? Why are you so emotional over this loss? That day, I still remember where I was driving, the exact spot when it hit me that Chris had become a stronghold in my life. He was a temptation. I didn't set out to be tempted, right? I didn't, I didn't see it coming. It's like I ate a little tiny piece of candy and then another, and pretty soon I was addicted to sugar. And this is how it happened. I gave a little opening in my heart, and then it took over. And while I was driving, here's what happened out loud. I said, I ask in Jesus' name that you would remove this stronghold named Chris from my life. And I just started weeping. I just started bawling, letting out all this emotion. Because you guys, I did in that moment what Jesus asked me to do. He says, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Amen. Coming out of that, it was a stronghold in my life. It was a person that had distracted me from my mission. And this is something that caused me suffering. And let me share with you, I was ashamed after this. I felt like I should know better, right? I was in ministry at the time. I've been in ministry over 20 years now. And you know, sure, there was nothing outwardly. You would look at me and go, oh, that girl, she's a sinner, right? But that pull, that temptation that I felt, I'm human and I knew it. I knew I was being sucked away from the purpose and that true followership that God had for me. And I share this very vulnerably with you guys today to ask you, where is your stronghold? What is distracting you? Is it a person or the culture's pull on you? What is the thing that you mustn't be part of right now in order to fulfill your purpose and to be that follower? Where do you need to die to yourself? Because let me be frank, nothing is worth being distracted from that bigger purpose that God has for your life. And I can honestly say that because I have lived the temptation. I've gotten sucked into something and it is not worth it. You know why? Because the ascent is so much better. When we actively call out these strongholds in our lives and we release them in the name of Jesus, this leads to praise and glory and honor. If I would have continued down the road with Chris, I would have missed out on my purpose. What stronghold has you right now? I'm gonna name off a few. You can also find them on our website. If you go to crossroadschurch.family, I've provided this as a resource for you. 
It's crossroadschurch.family, and it's called The Spiritual Warfare Prayer Against Strongholds. There's several slides in there for you to reflect on, but here they are. Number one, let's think about the last couple years of COVID. How many of us have perhaps gotten the stronghold of prejudice? And I'm talking about believing the lie that I'm better than the other person. Vaccine, no vaccine, mask, no mask. You believe, you have believed the lie that you are better than the other. And you now have that stronghold of prejudice and you need that freedom called unity. How about bitterness? How many family relationships, how many friendships have been severed in the last two years because you fall on different sides of things? And you have allowed this stronghold called bitterness to creep inside your heart and you have believed that you have the power to forgive and you're gonna withhold that power right now. How many of you, this one's a big one. You have got sucked into the stronghold called control where you believe that you can control your own life and that you do a better job than everybody else around you, including God himself. And you have gotten sucked into the stronghold of control and you need to surrender. Mine with Chris is idolatry. Idolatry, putting something else in front of God. My emotions, my time, my energy. Maybe you can identify with the stronghold of idolatry. And I've heard of this other one many times in the last couple weeks, this stronghold of despair. People have taken their own lives recently. People are struggling with depression because they believe the lie that even God has abandoned me and maybe that's your stronghold today is despair. There's others, there's jealousy, there's false teaching, which also includes conspiracy theories. There's sexual immorality, insecurity, rejection. How about deceit? Believing the lie that your actions are justified if you can just get what you need so you can deceive and manipulate others. There's a stronghold of fear and pride. I gave you this chart as a resource on the website because I wanna conclude by asking you directly, what must you painstakingly release in order to fulfill your purpose? Where will you choose suffering as Jesus did? The death of a dream, perhaps the death of a relationship, the death of what is comfortable, the death of what is safe, the death of what you think is valuable, the death of your freedom in your mind. Yet there's more freedom when you let go of that stronghold. Again, great missions are lived out with the knowledge that it will require pain along the way. I'm gonna pray in just a moment. If any of you would like to join me in asking the Lord, what is the stronghold that I need to release in Jesus' name? I'm gonna pray a prayer of release with you that you would claim in the name of Jesus that it is no longer part of your life and you will reclaim the footing that you have given over to Satan. Just like Jesus did with Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan, right? You're distracting me from my purpose. We're gonna pray that same thing in Jesus' name. So if you guys would bow with me right now and just take a moment to think through what stronghold has gripped your heart. Is it despair? Is it bitterness, prejudice, control, deceit, manipulation, anxiety, depression? What stronghold has gripped you in your heart? Idolatry. 
What thing have you put in front of your true followership of Jesus? And I want you to pray with me. Jesus, I release the stronghold named whatever it is, fear, despair, sexual immorality. I release the stronghold in Jesus' name. I surrender it to you. I ask for the freedom that you give of peace, of unity, of hope. I ask for that freedom in Jesus' name and I surrender my life to you. I give it back to you. Please help me to follow the purpose you have for me, undistracted by people, by culture, and by the stronghold that sucked me in. I renounce it in the name of Jesus. Let it be gone. Amen. Amen, you guys. I am so grateful, thank you, to have this opportunity to release in the name of Jesus. And there are also some out here who have never fully surrendered their heart and life to Jesus. You've never taken that step. You've tried on your own. You've tried not to be angry, not to be addicted, not to be in despair, but you have never let go of all of who you are and accepted Jesus's wonderful and gracious death on the cross. I'm gonna pray a prayer for you in a moment. And this prayer is a prayer of salvation. It is a prayer that you accept that you are a sinner, that you cannot stand before a holy God without the shed blood of Jesus, and that you accept Jesus to come into your life and to make you whole and new. And after I pray that prayer, if you pray that along with me as a prayer of full surrender, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold and courageous. After the prayer, I'm gonna, the band is gonna sing a song, and I'm gonna ask you to come forward or online, you can text AMEN to 77247. I'm gonna ask you to walk forward and join us in the living room. Somebody will be here to greet you. We won't keep you long. We have a Bible for you and someone to pray and talk with you. And this is just an outward expression because Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, you will be saved. And something happens when you make that walk forward. And you can bring somebody with you, a friend or the person next to you, so that you don't have to come alone. But right now, if this is the desire of your heart, let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for your example of true followership. Right now, if anybody would like to pray and accept Jesus, just pray these simple words. I'm sorry for all the things I've done. I've tried on my own and have failed. I accept you, Jesus, and the blood that you shed on the cross for me. Make me new. I invite you to take over my life. I cannot do it on my own. I surrender fully to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen if you prayed that prayer. Thanks again for joining us. Here at Crossroads, we're all about helping people take their next step. So, what's your next step? 
Whether you've made a decision to follow Jesus, want to be baptized, or you're interested in knowing more about God and the Bible through our Alpha class, we can help you take your next step at crossroadschurch.family. We also want to invite you to gather your family and friends to join us right here online again next week. We're live Wednesdays at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any new messages. If you found this message encouraging, click the like button and let us know how we can pray for you this week in the comments. Finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads and if you wanna be part of making an impact all over the world, you can head to crossroadschurch.family to do that now. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time.